0: This is a podcast about our lived experience, which unfortunately includes infant death and subsequent mental health struggles. Please take good care of yourself and only listen if this content feels safe for you right now. We'll still be here when you're ready. Hi, I'm Judith. And I'm Melina. We are internet friends turned real life friends who both experienced the tragic loss of our sons to sudden infant death syndrome in winter of 2021.
1: In the year after Aiden died, my husband and I both became unemployed, my parents divorced, and we had to move
0: five times for various reasons. And as for me, just a few weeks before my son Quinn died, my then-husband had come out to me as a transgender woman, and we're subsequently divorcing. It's been a lot. (laughs) It's been a lot.
1: (laughs) (laughs) But as long as we're living, we will love our sons deeply and work to make sure that we live a life that makes them proud. Welcome to As Long As I'm Living
0: podcast.
1: We're so glad you're here. Yes. Hi, everyone. I'm Judith.
0: I'm Aiden's mom. Hi, I'm Alina, and I am Quinn's mom. And we have a very special guest here today. Um, she'll let her introduce herself. Hi, my name is Rebecca Munini.
2: I am a therapist, and um, I specialize in a type of therapy called EMDR. Hey. Okay.
0: <laughs> okay, so today's episode is going to be all about EMDR. What is it? Who could benefit from it? How does it feel to receive or, I guess, Practice? No. What's the word? Uh, Participate uh, in EMDR. (laughs) And um, Rebecca, just so you know, we do have, we asked our listeners if they had any questions. So we have a couple of questions um, that came in from our listeners too. I would say most of them were covered by the questions we already had, um, had sent over to you. And listeners, for full disclosure, I do just want to say Rebecca is my EMDR therapist. So I have seen, I saw you every week for pretty much an entire year, <laughs> every single Tuesday. <laughs> oh, man. I feel like, and just for my own like personal testimony of EMDR, I, I feel like part of the reason I'm as well as I am right now, and now I'm having a bad week right now. Our listeners might know that by the time this is getting released, but even with that, because, you know, grief comes in waves. I think that the the trauma portion of losing my son, um, I think I've healed from a lot of that due to all the work I did at EMDR. And a lot of that is work Rebecca did with me. And then a lot of it is also like I really committed to the process. So I'm excited to talk about this because I think this is something that could really benefit our listeners. A lot of people have trauma after losing a child. The first question that I think we wanted to ask is, so EMDR is a trauma treatment modality. Is that right? Specifically for trauma, right?
2: Well, not as, not necessarily. It it is very good for trauma, but it also helps with a lot of other things. Um, Just regular anxiety, phobias, anything, eating disorders. There are, you know, protocols for pain. There are protocols for addiction. It helps with a a wide variety of things, but it's very tailored toward trauma. Originally, it was made for, to, to deal with trauma. And a lot of the early EMDR was for people who, who had been at war. So it was very helpful for them with that, with that type of trauma. But it you know kind of lends itself to any type of trauma, PTSD, and many, many other things.
0: What, what does EMDR stand for? I realize we should probably start there.
2: Eye movement, desensitization, and reprocessing. OK, so basically the premise is that it used to be so when the woman who invented EMDR her name is Francine Shapiro. And when she first came up with EMDR, she noticed that when she would look up at the trees while she was walking after she had received the cancer diagnosis. So obviously that's a trauma. Well, maybe not. Obviously, we're going to talk about what trauma is. But for her, that was a trauma. And she was looking around at trees and noticing that when her eyes moved back and forth, she kind of felt a little better and so the whole premise it was of course there's much much research that's gone into it but the premise is that that eye movement allowed her brain to process and allowed her to feel a little bit a little bit better about it so the eye movement used to be in emdr many years ago you would follow someone's like finger with your eyes or like a pointer with your eyes or even a light bar
0: these days, left to you, right, right. Left to right, left to right.
2: Yes. And you could. just, these days you can use anything you can tap. So you can even do it through telehealth by tapping your knees, tapping your chest, like a, it's called a butterfly hug. So you can do tapping. I have a very nice machine in my office that came out after COVID where you can just hold the buzzers, and they buzz one at a time, and that's all of it. So any kind of bilateral stimulation, so bilateral meaning one side then the other, seems to allow the brain to process.
0: So, okay, so what is trauma okay. as opposed to other types of mental health issues? How does it manifest in the body? hmm
2: Most people define trauma as an emotional response to a terrible event like
0: an accident,
2: a rape, assault, natural disaster, death. So, But I refer to those types of incidences as big T traumas, okay? So for you two, you've had big T traumas. Trauma can also be defined as any incident that an individual cannot manage in the here and now. So it can really be anything. Um, if you were made fun of when you were a kid, if your mother and father fought a lot, if your mother or father were alcoholic, if you, anything at all that you cannot manage in the here and now to me is defined as trauma. Some traumas are big traumas and some traumas aren't big traumas, but they're still traumas. And immediately after you have a big trauma, you often feel shock and denial, and you have longer-term reactions that are unpredictable emotions, flashbacks, so your relationships get can be strained. You can even have physical symptoms, headaches, nausea, panic attacks. Those are more on the, so that's what we call post-traumatic stress disorder. It's a those types of, those keep happening to you. You'll keep having flashbacks. You keep reliving the trauma. You have dreams, you have physical manifestations. So are those signs that your brain fully hasn't processed it? So what happens with trauma? Yes. and And the answer to that is yes. But what happens to what happens when you cannot manage something that happens, it gets stuck in your amygdala. The amygdala is the part of the brain. It's like our ancient part of our brain that's responsible for fight, flight and freeze responses. So the things that are not processed, the traumatic Incidents that are not processed get stuck in the amygdala. And therefore you are not able to use your prefrontal cortex, which is responsible for thinking and planning and rational thought. So when you when you are in that hyper-aroused state, rational thought logic is hard. So you are when you are hyper-aroused, if you're having PTSD symptoms, you're mostly hyper-aroused. You're still in that fight-flight freeze response, you're still in that, in that amygdala response. So that's where it kind of gets stuck in the amygdala.
0: So so an example of something that, that was a trigger for me that I processed in EMDR is the sound of babies crying. So that was something that after the loss, due to specific circumstances around Quinn's loss, and then also just because it reminded me of having a living child, hearing a baby cry out at a restaurant or you know in my apartment building was extremely triggering for me and so in my body even though logically my mind knew that wasn't my baby I had nothing that I needed to do about that my my body was overwhelmed with that sound and I was not able to remain in the present I would get like heart racing sweating panic attack symptoms unable to function Kind of like either that that freeze that you mentioned or like the flight, like I'd have to like leave the restaurant and like get out of there. Right. And so I think it's pretty common after the loss of a child for people to have triggers like that. So I'm wondering if you can speak to like what what is a trigger? Mm-hmm. What makes something a trigger? Mm-hmm hmm.
2: So triggers are reminders of a traumatic event and they can come in any form. OK, so it's it's a, what happens is something you see something, you hear something, anything can happen and your amygdala is activated and your body responds with that fight, flight or freeze. And the original thoughts, feelings and body sensations that are experienced when you were when you were triggered, remind you of the traumatic event. So therefore, a panic attack can also occur because you're, you're triggered, you're remembering, you're reliving, it all comes back and you can't manage it. Yeah.
0: So Judith and I are, are dealing and our list, a lot of our listeners are dealing with both grief and mm-hmm. trauma. Mm-hmm. Um, Cause like you mentioned, there are certain losses that are not considered traumatic, you know, like the, the death of a grandparent in old age might would typically not be a traumatic loss. It could be depending on the circumstances but I would say the death of a child is pretty much universally um, a traumatic event. So I'm wondering if you can speak a little bit, I know you're not a grief therapist specifically, but if you could speak to like the difference between grief and trauma and their inner side.
2: Sure. So grief is like the, a grief is a natural emotional process of healing after a loss that allows, usually allows the intensity of the pain and sadness to do, decrease over time as you move forward. So you never, you know, you it, it just decreases as you move forward. But trauma is an emotional response to a terrible event, okay? So losing a child, obviously, is a terrible traumatic event. So what I define, what you and Judith are experiencing and other people who are listening who have lost children is called traumatic grief, okay? Traumatic grief is like a... So there's a woman named Glenda Dickinson. I don't know if you've heard of her. She describes traumatic grief as a a sense-losing event, a free fall into a chasm of despair, The experience of having your everyday life ripped apart by a sudden and unexpected death can cause you to go into a steep decline. You're down there swirling, experiencing all of the issues that are part of grief, shock, disbelief, and bewilderness. Traumatic grief is complicated also by the fact that sometimes it's hard to grieve when you've experienced this kind of loss because you feel upset about leaving that loved one behind. There might be some of that thought of like, if I grieve, if I allow myself to grieve, what about my baby or my child that I've left behind? So that complicates it. So traumatic grief is, you know, is is also complicated. You, when you've lost a, you know, an older grandmother who's died in her sleep of old age, it's not that same feeling of, you know, I can't leave that loved one behind. It's it's more complicated. So what you two experience is traumatic grief. So if you if you think of the intersection, that gives it a name, traumatic grief. So
1: let me just make sure I understand. Either my brain is just moving really slow because I've had a lot of meetings today or my brain just moves slow.
0: Or it's because your child died. Yeah, <laughs> the, but I, I just want
1: to make sure I understand. Let me just reiterate it back to you to make sure I'm understanding correctly. So basically what you're saying is that grief is the process of, um, healing through time, Mm -hmm. but trauma is your brain remembering a sudden, you know, tragic event that leads to like a physical and emotional response. It's not like a process over time. It's like a sudden incident. And then your brain is called back to that sudden incident.
2: Mm -hmm. trauma is an emotional response yes an emotional response
1: yes could you have a traumatic response to grieving so like for example okay like let's say part of grieving is the changing nature of your friendships Mm -hmm. you know let's say that's part of it Mm -hmm. so could you have a, a traumatic response so so that all these, okay, hold on, let me back up a second. When you lose someone, like everything in your life just explodes into a million pieces. So you're dealing with the trauma of like the actual loss itself, but also the trauma of like, okay, my friends aren't the same people that I was friends with before. Mm -hmm. I can't relate to my family in the same way I could relate to my family anymore. Mm -hmm. I'm confused about whether or not I'm a mother anymore. Like all these different components that come as part of grieving are also traumatic. Yes. I just want to make sure I'm understanding that. So the trauma compounds on one another because first we have the trauma of finding your son dead. That's big T trauma. But then there's all these little bits of your brain that's, that it's responding to the aftershocks and that's trauma too. Absolutely. So I've got trauma squared.
2: Yes. And you know, you know, you know what trauma squared is called. There's a name for that too. What's that? It's called complex trauma. Complex. (laughs) Yeah.
1: Well, aren't we lucky? (laughs) Are we? (laughs) Great. (laughs) So so the work that you do is trying to remove that complex trauma so we can just focus on the grieving.
2: Well, it, it more so. Okay. So EMDR for the loss of a loved one. Allows you to grieve more peacefully. But we also, with Alina, we dealt with all of the traumas that those little, those the other traumas that you were talking about, the associated traumas, the complex pieces. We dealt with every single piece.
0: Yes. I had a list of, uh, how many would you say, 40, 45 different was things, a lot. triggers. Yeah. So some of those were specific moments from the day that I found Quinn dead, some of those were things leading up to it that I felt like kind of were traumas in their own way. Some of those were things I was dealing with in the present that were feeling really traumatic as I was grieving. Mm -hmm. And some of those were things that I was aware of going to be future triggers that I wanted to kind of like pre-process, if you will. So it was a very long list of individual items that I processed one at a time. Yes. So it
2: allows you to process and feel more at peace does that make sense? So it's it, yeah. it,
0: allows, you to, so it allows
2: you to grieve more peacefully. Mm-hmm.
0: I would say it helped. It didn't help with the pain, but it did help with the suffering. Does that make mm-hmm.
2: sense? Yes. Very well said, Alina. Very you. well said.
1: That was really <laughs> well said. Yeah.
0: Good. Okay. So we already kind of talked about what is EMDR and what types of trauma do you see EMDR working really well for? But I guess I want to ask... Does someone have to have PTSD, post-traumatic stress disorder, in order to benefit from EMDR? Because I think that's a common question.
2: Right. No. And the answer is no. It can be anyone, pretty much anyone can benefit from EMDR. Um, It... You don't have to have post traumatic stress disorder. It can be. We can, you, can, you can process just the trauma, traumatic events that have happened in your life. You can also do use EMDR to help with phobias, with just anxiety as a as a whole, um, even with depression, with with any pretty much with anything. You can you can use it. It's very um, global. You can really use it pretty globally.
0: And yeah, do- I'll actually say one of the things I processed kind of at the end of our time together was I had gone through a lot of the the, the loss related things. And then I also was, was like, what else do I have? And I'm like, okay, I have all this anxiety about being late. I have anxiety on airplanes. So like, you know, we spent a couple sessions at the end, just like having my brain just like run through those individual things, which are completely unrelated, long predate Quindon. Um, but that was helpful for those also. Mm -hmm. So let's,
1: let's just practice a minute. So (laughs) you would come in and you would say, I'm really anxious about airplanes or being late. That's a really good one about running late. You would have her tap both sides, <laughs> hold the machine, look at lights, and then at the same time, <laughs> what would you do? Like what? Where okay. is the magic?
0: <laughs> okay, so why don't you walk us through the whole process of EMDR because it is a very long and complex. Yeah, could process. you it's please
1: do it with an example so it's not so meta? Like,
0: give me an example. Let's let's go with me being anxious about being late. Yeah. because that I not... mean, it's not
2: stupid, but it's like little. Things yeah. <laughs> yes.
0: Yeah. Okay. All right.
2: So, you know, we can even make it even more concrete. Let's, let's imagine that someone walks into my, um, my office and they're like, I had, um, you know, a car accident and, you know, I'm having a lot of stress and I keep remembering, or I, I, I feel, you know, like, or, do you, or would you rather do it with something like a phobia? No, car accident. Car accident uh-huh. is perfect. Okay. Perfect. So say someone comes in, they've had a car accident. You know, um, everybody was okay. Nobody died. It's not a grief. You know, it's not where they lost somebody, but they had this. It's It made them very, it, it affected them. And, it, and they come to me and they say, well, you know, I feel like I'm affected by this car accident more than I should be, whatever there is. So the first part is you have to develop a relationship with the person. So the person kind of has to trust you. Okay. So you kind of develop a rapport with the person and you make sure that the it's an okay fit. And then the very first thing you have to, you have to make sure in order to process, people have to have two things, okay? And sometimes this can take a long time. It depends on the person. And it depends on what you know, because what you're seeing, you don't, you don't know about the whole person, you know, about their car accident, but you don't know about the whole person. So you want to find out if there are any other losses, if there are any other things that they're concerned about. And you want to make sure that every person who wants to try EMDR, you have to have affect tolerance. What does that mean? That means you have to be able to manage strong emotion. You have to have that ability. And you have to have the ability to maintain, to, to, be, to be somewhat, and, I, and we say calm, right? Some people have a hard time. So maybe it's neutral. You know, you don't have to use the word calm or safe. Some people never feel calm and they never feel safe. So we work with a neutral. We find a place where that person can manage, where they can be stable. So the biggest word there is stable. You have to be able to maintain stability, right? So let's say I am processing with you and you get very upset. There's this huge outburst of affect. I might tell you what's going on. Can we use our container? Can we use our neutral place? Can we like, so I I will help with that. So you have to have those two things.
0: And so. As part of that, like in those first couple of sessions, you were coaching me. You were saying, okay, so let's think of somewhere where you felt safe. And so I described that place to you. Then you were asking more and more and more questions. What did it sound like? What did it smell like? Who else was there? What what did the ground feel like underneath of you? Did you feel supported? What was the temperature? All of these things so that later when I was feeling an outburst of emotion and and you were able, because you knew me by this point, you were able to see when I was getting overwhelmed enough that I was not able to continue processing that memory. And you would say, okay, let's take a minute and go to the safe place. And you would coach me back into it because you knew what my safe place was.
2: Is that right? Exactly. So those things need to happen. And they can sometimes, like I was saying, Judith, they sometimes take a long time. And there's other things besides container and neutral, calm, safe, however you want to define it, place. There's many other things you can do. You can work on, um, you can do mindfulness exercise where the person just practices being in the here and now. Then there's something called resource development. Resource development is something else that happens before. That means helping the person to sense some things like, when have you ever had a time when you felt okay? Well, let's resource that in. You know, when we give it a name, when have you ever had a time when, you know, you felt loved or nurtured or what what to you represents love, stability, nurturance? And then we develop resources, meaning I would use tapping or in my if you're sitting here, a lot of people use those buzzers and it just kind of helps you to really feel those. So so you can pull them up even in your everyday life. You know, pull up your, do you need, you know, you, you might need help from your nurturer, your protector, your wise figure. Those are all resources that we develop to help you along in the process.
0: And I'll say like, for me, like you coached me through most of those things. And then there were a couple that were particularly meaningful that I feel like really resonated with me. So one was like a safe place and then the other one was the nurture, the nurturing figure. So like those were the two that we would come back to, even though you and I together worked on kind of all of them, but two of the, those two like really felt like they were helpful. So you might go with all of them, but you might not actually use every, everyone. Is that right?
2: That's right. And like everybody, yeah, yeah everyone is different. Some people, you know, some people take longer to develop the affect tolerance and the ability to, you know, remain neutral, calm, safe, whatever it is. And some people don't. It just depends on the person and what they've gone through. Um, you have some people who have dissociative identity disorder, so they, they, that you will have to work with all with all of the, you know, you have to make sure you can figure everything out, so that you can be feel safe enough to allow your brain to
0: process. Okay, so you okay, develop so your state, resources. We have
2: our resources.
0: Mm-hmm. Now what? now what? And I'll ask you, I know that there are different ways you process much older trauma and recent trauma, right? Yes. yes. So let's start with a recent trauma.
2: Okay. So recent trauma is done in a different way than trauma that occurred. So with... the car accident, Recess trauma, that's recent trauma. Sure. So let's say that ca- that car accident happened within the last year. So what the person would do once all of the stuff is done before, once that, so now we've got a stable person. They're, they're not dependent on drugs or alcohol. Okay. And they're stable. They're the other thing that affects that can't affect EMDR are barbiturates and marijuana. So if you're, if you, if you're taking barbiturates or you you're using marijuana, you have to be careful with that because it can affect processing. So the person that had the car accident comes in, we've done all this work. That person has affect tolerance. That person feels stable. Okay. Then we would start, I would have them tell me the story of the car accident, okay? So they would tell me the story and what I would do is note the pieces that I found, like there, there was an emotional reaction. So just by watching them. Yes, just by watching them. And so I would write, I would jot those down and then I would check with the person. And the person say these. This is what I what I found to be the the parts of this that you know seem to be the, the the worst parts. Let me know if I missed anything. Let me know if there's anything you know that you that isn't necessarily that. So I would go through and we would list all the parts. Then we go through and we process each part. Some people start with the worst part. Some people start with you know just the do it in in order. It doesn't matter. You can use your judgment of what you think. It still works either way that you do it. You just can't, that's person. There's a lot of judgment that goes into it as well. So then you start and you just go through and process each part until the person. And what happens is, so you start, I set it up. So EMDR is your brain working. Okay. So it's like a mind body free association. So I set it up, I facilitate it, but your brain does the work and you are in control. So I set it up by, you know, we grab the memory or whatever the incident, the, in this case, it would be the, the spike, I call them spikes. So in this instance, it would be the spike.
0: And so using our car accident example, that could be something like the, the sound of this tire screeching, yes. right? Yes. Yeah. That would, it would be something like that. Some small piece of it that, that gives you like a, uh, an individual reaction.
2: Yes, So that would be the image, right? And then you, we, I would get your level of distress. So that means like, when you think about this, this image of those, or, you know, you think about the image, maybe you think of an image of a tire, whatever it, whatever it means to you. And then I would say to you, you know, what, when you think of that, when you imagine that image, what is the level of distress? Okay. And say this person says, oh my gosh, it's an eight. So it's zero to 10. They say, oh, it's an eight. And then we keep, so what we would do, set it up, and then we do the tapping or the, whatever you're, you've, you've chosen. So in this case, you know, maybe they're holding my buzzers. And we allow, I allow them to do that for a while and just let their brain go. Just let it go. You know, no, there's no what ifs, there's no supposed tos. You just allow it to happen. And then I check in, okay, what's going on? And then the person tells me what's going on. And then we keep up that process until the level of distress goes down as far as we can get it to go down.
0: And that could take, depending on what the memory is, it could take 20 minutes. It could take 10 sessions.
2: Yes, absolutely. Right? Yep.
0: Yep. And I'll say for me, like some of my memories would go down and then something would come up in, in the processing and it would go back up again. Yeah. I would cycle through, gosh, I feel furious. Gosh, I feel terrified. Mm-hmm. But are you,
1: you're speaking out loud when this happens? So you're like, just tell me the, what your brain is thinking and then you'd be like,
2: well. So you're,
0: you're sitting quietly doing the bilateral stimulation and then like Rebecca said, she would check in and say what's coming up for you, uh-huh. right?
2: Mm-hmm. Yes, I would say it's yes. Yep. What did you What did you notice? Is that y'all you off in EMDR, you hear, What did you notice? What did you get? And you just tell me without censoring what's going on, and then we keep going. And then if you need help, I help. And then in regular standard processing, when it's something that has happened over a year ago. Then we take each, we, we make like a target map. That's all the things that you're going to process, whether they be pieces of a story, whether they be events that happened, whether they be hard relationships, whatever they might be, they can be anything. We set it up. And then I ask you for the image that represents the worst part. Then, so, so I want to know what the images are, because remember, I told you it gets stuck with the original images and the emotions and the feelings in the body. So I ask you about that. What is the image? What are, the, what are the emotions? What is the feeling in the body? And then you get a negative cognition, which is how you feel when you think about that image. And then we talk about a positive cognition. So by the end, we want your disturbance to go down as close to zero as it can. And we want you to, when, when you are triggered, so something happens in outside life and you get triggered, we want your brain to be able to go to that positive cognition or positive thought.
0: So, and to give some examples of like the negative cognition and the positive cognition. So I'm trying to think of some of yours. <laughs> so a negative cognition that I know I had a, with a couple of different memories was I'm a bad mother. And I think that you thought that. that is what the, when I thought of the memory, it, some of the memories, that's a thing that would come up for me that I would think and feel right. Maybe not even think cognitively, but like that's what my body would feel when I would think about them. And then the positive cognition, what I wanted to think instead is, you know, I'm a, mo- I'm a good mother who did the best she could and Quinn knew I loved him or mm-hmm. something like that. Mm-hmm. So the idea is right. That you want to, uh, reprocess that memory so that if you think of it, you hopefully don't get so activated. And instead of thinking I'm a bad mother, I think I'm a good mother who did the best I could. And Quinn knew I loved him. Mm-hmm.
2: Exactly. Very, very well said, Alina. Very Thank
0: good. <laughs> What are you thinking right now, Judith?
2: Um, I'm thinking,
1: I wonder how many memories I have or whatever you call them. (laughs) I don't know what they're called. What are they called? Traumatic memories. Spikes. I'm wondering how many spikes I have that I don't even know that I'm even having a response to them. Yeah. You know? Because I feel like even when I think about the most triggering day of the day of his death, I feel like I just kind of like talk about it really affect neutral. So I wonder if like those I don't even like let myself have those. Like, I think I wonder if I'm just not even cognit- cognitive, my even cognitive
2: of the fact that they're causing me distress. Does that mm-hmm. make sense? Oh, absolutely. And it's very common.
1: Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah. that's what I'm thinking. I'm thinking like, I wonder how many memories or like pieces of the traumatic event or just in general I have that I've just kind of put to bed under and classified in a certain way that I don't realize maybe has negative undertones. I happen to not have thought, you know, I'm a bad mother, but I'm sure there's something that like, I don't even realize I think about myself about that day. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah.
2: You know, because you, you clearly haven't processed it. You, the way you're dealing with it is you kind of maybe blocked it.
1: I'm happy to talk. I'm happy to talk about, it. like, that's what I think is unusual because when I think when Alina and I have talked about EMDR in the past,
2: I'm like, but I'm happy to talk about it. It's not like it. Okay. So you don't feel, you don't feel re-traumatized when you talk about it. No, no, but I'm sure that I am traumatized. <laughs>
0: <laughs> oh you definitely that's what, I'm,
2: that's what i'm
1: saying like i'm happy to talk about it it will not send me into a spiral right. I, I find the story just kind of like so i just I don't think i do yeah.
0: think you're able to look at the the morning of finding aiden from our conversations i do think you're able to look at it fairly neutrally which yeah I which i don't know point. if it means like does that mean i am
1: so disassociated because like i'm so fucked up or does it mean like i generally am neutral like i'm not sure that's what i'm
0: asking I do think though, Judith, like you do have, not to like diagnose you, obviously I'm not a professional,
1: <laughs> but told I do I have you, trauma squared.
0: You do have things that you do have PTSD. Like you will jump to, oh, someone's dead. A hundred percent. I have PTSD.
1: I will tell you, I have 150% PTSD. I'm 200 million percent. I know I have it, but I'm, <laughs> but I, but the, I'm curious what those things that I have PTSD are about like, what are the trigger? What are the spikes in my life? Because I, I, I genuinely, when I think back of that morning, to me, that doesn't feel like a spike. So either it's a spike and I don't even know it's a spike, or generally that's not where my triggers come from. They come from a different moment in that story.
0: You got to go to EMDR and find out, Judith.
2: They're stored in networks in your brain. Okay. So you have memory networks. And so when one network is hit, so when if we start processing a memory and it's part of a network, Other stuff might come up. So you might say, well, I can't stop thinking about this. So at that point, you have to say to yourself, you you and the therapist have to say, well, do we need to go back and process that? Because clearly it's part of this memory network that we haven't touched upon.
1: Wait, so okay, let's say we're talking about finding my son dead. So maybe the part that's triggering is not finding him dead. But you're saying maybe like my mom walking in the room was triggering because I have triggers related to my mom. Possibly. My mom listens to this, so I just don't want her to think that I'm saying
2: that. I'm just saying an example. Um, <laughs> no, yeah, it's, it's a good yeah. example. It's a good okay. example, in which case if we were processing something, and this has happened with Alina, remember there's been a couple of times, something yes. else would come up and then we have to stop. Okay, do we continue with this or do we put it in the container for now? And we go back to what it is yes. that keeps coming up.
0: So like Judith, I, I know you've talked on the podcast about that one time that you straight up had a complete and total episode where I you did. thought your husband was dead right I, that one and then remember
1: the one on the airplane
0: yes you were convinced your husband was dead and i think in that moment you were clearly having some There's been of, a couple of times it, yes, yeah yes where it's
1: like you can't even your brain can't even your brain is not there there yes. is no brain and i'll say that my husband now when my daughter like when she cries that triggers something in his brain that's like not there he like loses i could see his eyes that like, kind of go out which it's like, it's interesting to watch from the outside because when those things aren't triggering, when you're not the person being triggered, they are like, oh, but it's nothing.
2: Yeah, right. It just depends on what you have in there, right? Yeah. And congratulations on your daughter, by the way. Oh, thanks.
0: Rebecca, Judith's daughter outgrew Quinn yesterday. So now Judith has the oldest baby that the two of us has ever had.
1: Wow. wow. <laughs> yeah, I think I've got some capital T trauma, though, because I keep thinking I'm going to walk over there and find her dad. Got to work on that one. Yeah. yeah, but I, but I, but overall, okay. We're with you. Okay. So that's what you do. We've gone
0: through, we've processed all of the memories that were traumatic. What else might you do in EMDR before you wrap up your time with your EMDR? practitioner?
2: Okay. So you, if you feel like you've, so you want to go back, make sure that all of the things that you've processed still feel like the level of distress is low. There's nothing else coming up. So you always want to kind of check on those, and then you know what I usually do with a client is I'll have them kind of record all of their positive cognitions, just so they can take those with them. But yeah. you always want to be, you know, thinking about make 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 sure that the level of the stress is still still low. Make sure there's nothing else that's coming up. So in between each session, you ask, did anything come up about what we process? Because sometimes there's things that might come up. So you want to kind of like. Summarize. So I would tell her at the end of every session, you just did a lot of processing, you might have thoughts, you might have images, stuff might come up, and then you just kind of take a mental note or you jot it down and then we talk about it the next time if we need to. And if you're disturbed in between, I also teach some things that you can use to keep yourself from, you know, being when you're when you have a disturbance to manage.
1: One thing that I find fascinating about EMDR is that it's designed to end. Right? You're not supposed to be in it forever. No. Which is different than traditional talk therapy because I think there's kind of a never ending feeling to that. But EMDR, <laughs> I know it's like there's a beginning, middle, and end.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Is that right? Yeah, it is. I true. think that's really, I think that's something that's really
2: appealing in that. Now, I won't say that I don't have a lot of clients that stay after they're done just for check-ins or just to do the weekly talk therapy. I do have that, but yes, the EMDR, it does. end, And people become much more self-aware. It tends to really, you know,
0: help people. So how does somebody know if EMDR is right for them?
2: Like meaning before you start or like
0: if someone is listening to this and mm -hmm. they're intrigued, Mm -hmm. like what what are some questions they could ask themselves to say, like, is this something that I should pursue?
2: Well, I mean, I guess if it sounds like, again, like I said, any issue, any issue can pretty much be. Taken care of in some way by EMDR. So if you are a person who's like, well, I'm kind of struggling with, you know, anxiety, or I'm kind of struggling with depression, or I'm kind of, you know, I I do have a lot of thoughts about, you know, this thing that happened to me, or I don't know if I'm processed this kind of trauma that happened to me, then it could very well be for them. It's it's a matter of are you willing to do the pre, you know, are you willing to invest in it? Are you willing to do the work that it takes to, you know, become affect tolerant? Are you willing to do what it takes to be able to manage? become, stay neutral or calm or
0: whatever. And I'll say like, as someone who's gone through it, it is a lot of work. It is exhausting. I would sometimes leave EMDR and go home and take a nap because the the actual, like, I know it's just happening in your brain, but it was physically exhausting. And you do have to be ready. This is not a clinical, I'm just like a person who did it. I think you have to be ready to face the things, those memories again, and you're doing it in a safe place with support. But if you, if you are just not interested in going back and looking at those things at all, and you don't feel like you're suffering because you're not looking back at those things and processing them and you don't want to look back, like you, you are going to have to examine each of those things in the face at some point during EMDR. Is that right? Or is that just my experience? Well, you know, it's a look at some really ugly stuff.
2: Right. So the difference here is it depends on your brain, right? Your brain had to process those mm-hmm. ugly pieces. So everybody's brain is different. So what happens is it's not the, the, the reason that some people like it better is because when you come in for talk therapy, if you have PTSD, you've had a, a, a trauma and you come in or complex trauma, mm-hmm. <laughs> trauma, yes, scared, trauma. and you come in sometimes people, when they start talking about these things that have happened in detail, they start to relive them and it's really uncomfortable. So in EMDR, I'm not, you're not asking the person to relive it. You're asking the person to just their brain to kind of pick the pieces that they need to come out. Okay. So yes, some of those pieces are ugly and you have to look at them. Absolutely. But it's going to be certain pieces that haven't been processed. I think that this begs a question,
1: which I know is on Alina's list. But how do you yourself handle listening to the
2: worst day of people's lives all day, every day? (laughs) You know, uh, I just try to, you know, remember that I Well, you know, I have a big container. And then I also try to remember that if I, the, the fact that I can help somebody, and make them feel less traumatized, for lack of a better word, isn't worth it to me. Um, had I been a person, when, when Alina first re- reached out to me about this, had I been a person who had small children or babies or wanted to get pregnant in the near future, maybe it wouldn't have been a good fit, but mm-hmm. I can hold most things. And I also know what I can hold and what I can't hold. Mm-hmm. And I was able to hold it. So mm-hmm. I kind of like, have to, you have to know as a therapist what you can hold i feel like it would be comforting to me to know as somebody who i
1: know care how other people feel when i'm talking to them like i would want to know like this isn't going to bother you right that i talk about this like mm-hmm. this is not your trauma this is not going to like spill over and like my shit isn't going to fall over your life you know because that is something i think about Right. i don't want to be a burden
0: yeah and i'll say like i know our therapeutic relationship was good because i did feel like i could say whatever it was that I needed to say, which was a lot yeah. of really awful stuff about a yeah. dead baby. A really lovely, cute dead baby, but he was dead. Yeah, right? you have to be, like, really explicit about it. Yeah. If that's what's coming up for me, which is what was coming right. up for me. Right, right, right. Were some yeah. sessions harder than others? Yes. Our sessions? Yes. Yeah. Yeah.
1: But, you know, Alina, you were probably her favorite client because your stories are just so entertaining. <laughs> like, you
2: even... <laughs> didn't... You didn't have anything boring. <laughs> but she is a great client. Ah, you're sweet.
0: <laughs> so flattered. <laughs> um, I, so I recently graduated EMDR. That's what I call it. <laughs> We're so proud of you. I know. It was bittersweet. It was. Honestly, it was bittersweet for me, too. Because, like, so I, I still see my grief therapist, who I also love. Um, and it was, but it was nice to have two days a week where I I was able to kind of like, you know, tease apart different pieces of the loss. And I know that I have additional things on my list to process relating to pregnancy, relating to birth, relating to having a newborn that I kind of made the decision not to process yet because it feels like it's just not the right time. But Rebecca, I'll be back when. Yeah. when Why you when don't I'm think praying. I'm having
1: fun, Alina? You don't think
0: I make it? Judith, liquid? you are all the more evidence that I need to go back to EMDR before I get pregnant <laughs> and have a newborn because it's rough over there. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my
1: I know. It's Just rough. keeping you on your toes, Alina. Don't <laughs> get you bored.
0: Okay, let me pull up the questions from our listeners and make sure we covered everything. Judith, do you have any other questions for Rebecca? Well, no, I learned so much. I
1: really learned an unbelievable amount, and I am so.
0: What do you happy think about EMDR, EMDR now? I think it's fantastic.
1: I think it's great. I don't think every single person is the right person for every experience. So the fact that for some great. people they can do talk therapy, some people can use EMDR, some people can do both, some people like I think the more
0: modalities to help people, the better. Okay, so someone says, "What are the risks of EMDR? Can it make you feel worse?"
2: In between sessions, uh-huh. you may have discomfort and you may have like, because you what happens is your brain continues to process in between sessions, but I, I will teach you things to like light stream or things, exercises to kind of help with that. But yes, you can get this. You can have disturbance in between, in between sessions. It can happen. Does it make you feel worse overall? No, but you might struggle in between because the stuff is coming up and it's out there.
0: Yeah, because, like, I'll say, like, I feel like what happened is before I went to EMDR, I kind of, like, locked up everything real nice and tight, like, in a nice <laughs> smooshed inside of a box. And then I was, like, opening that box a little bit at a time. So, like, maybe between sessions, like, the box was still kind of open. And I was like, ugh, it's bad in there, you
2: know? Yep. So you have to have ways to to do it. You know, you have to yeah. have the ways to manage it. Um, somebody says, how many sessions before you could feel it's working? <laughs> that is so individual. <laughs> Yeah. Depends, it just depends.
1: I feel like that's when I say, "It's my therapist. When am I going to get better?"
2: <laughs> that is really individual. It just depends.
0: I would say I noticed relief from individual memories that were traumatic after one or two sessions, one or two sessions processing that memory. That said the whole overall thing, like it was just a full year of EMDR. <laughs> but there I can think of one specific spike like one specific memory from the day Quinn died that was coming to me in my sleep and in the night. And that one after one session was gone and I haven't triggered by it yet. Yep. And I remember that one. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) And then the last thing, um, is not a question, but somebody says no questions, but, and that's how I feel. That's wonderful. Yes. Yeah.
2: And I do have a lot of clients who have said that, you know, um, again, everyone is different. So. Well, it's clear the work you're doing is really helping people.
1: To all of our wonderful new friends we want to hear from you, email us at aslongasimlivingpodcast at gmail.com and follow us on Instagram at aslongasimlivingpodcast. We'll get back to you as soon as our grieving brains allow. Yay!